everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hey, Keith. Hi, Katie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Did you have a nice weekend? Absolutely. How about you? Uh, it, I, I feel like I work almost every Sunday mm. now. Like. I feel like you do. I don't think you just feel that way. I think it's true. It's just the charts grind. A lot of and but but we had a lot of fun stuff happening. The charts this week. never sleep. That literally, neither does Keith. <laughs> um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music. And guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got news about Paul McCartney, Mariah Carey, the late Mac Miller, Justin Bieber, and Kanye West and Lil Pump's new viral collaboration, I Love It. Plus, we've got an interview with the legendary Niall Rogers. The friend of the podcast returns to the show to talk about his new album with Chic, It's About Time. So stick around for that a little bit later. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Let's do some chart chat. <laughs> the chart chat. First up... Sir Paul McCartney achieves his first number one album in more than 36 years on the Billboard 200 chart as Egypt Station debuts atop the list. That's my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Were you born in 82? 82. Wow. Yeah. Like late 82? Uh, March, so. So you were alive. The when last, his last time he had a number one? Yeah, barely. Oh, man. You were just. An... I remember it well. You were an infant. <laughs> um. The uh, new album actually earned 153,000 equivalent album units in the week ending September 13th, according to Nielsen Music. And of that sum, 147,000 were in traditional album sales. Now, Egypt Station is McCartney's first number one since way back in 1982, as we just said, when Tug of War topped the list for three weeks. In total, Egypt Station is McCartney's eighth number one, and that counts... All of his solo albums, as well as his work with Wings. And just to make it nice and confusing, some of those Wings albums were credited to Paul McCartney and Wings. So separate from all this is The Beatles. Um, and they hold the record for the most number one albums ever on the chart with 19. Just 19 number <laughs> one albums. Um, next up, still on the Billboard 200, Mac Miller's album Swimming jumps back into the top 10 on the chart vaulting from number 71 to number 6, with 67,000 equivalent album units earned. That's up 634% compared to the previous week. In total, Miller, uh, of course, this is in the wake of his death on September 7th, has seven albums on the Billboard 200 this week, including two more in the top 40. Overall, his catalog of albums earned 147,000 units, in the week ending September 13th, which is up 912%. And his album sales rose to 24,000 copies sold, which is up from just 2,000 copies sold the week previous. Even more eye-popping, uh, his overall on-demand streams, combining both audio and video streams, 
grew to 199 million streams last week, which is up a, a uh, 872% from the week previous. A whole lot of numbers I was saying there. Yes. Yeah. People wanted to mourn Mac by listening to his music, clearly. That's that's that's, that's what happens here, uh, especially with someone like him who um, had a very youthful following that was very streaming-oriented. So you can see why um, everyone turned to streaming services to um, remember him. Yep. Uh, lastly, over on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, Drake's In My Feelings, you may have heard of that song, spins a tenth week at number one. Tenth. Hmm. Tenth. By the way, uh, in the, I believe it's 39 weeks that we've had this year so far, Drake has been number one for 29 of them, I think. Wow. I think. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And that was last week he tied Usher's record, right? Uh, yeah. For, so did he pass it this week? Yeah, this week uh, Drake passes Usher for, what was the particular? The most feat? weeks at, number, at one. number one on the Hot 100 in a year. And just like. Yeah, within one calendar year. Just like uh, Drake's situation, it was with multiple songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so aside from that. Drake now is the first solo artist and just the second act ever uh, to notch three number one songs that all spent 10 weeks or more at number one. Drake has done it within My Feelings, obviously 10 weeks at number one, God's Plan with 11 weeks at number one, and One Dance with 10 weeks at number one. The other act that did it, Boys to Men. With One Sweet Day, which was with, of course, Mariah Carey, and that spent 16 weeks in number one. I'll Make Love to You, which spent 14 weeks atop the chart. And End of the Road with 13 weeks at number one. Also in the top 10 on the Hot 100 this week, Kanye West and Lil Pump's collaboration, I Love It, charges in at number six. It's West's highest charting song since 2015, when 4 5 seconds uh, alongside Rihanna and Paul McCartney peaked at number 4 further i love it is west's highest debut on the hot 100 since 2009 when heartless arrived at number 4 uh, overall i love it is west's 17th top 10 hit for little pump it's his second top 10 and first debut in the top 10 he previously visited the region with gucci gang which climbed number three last December. Now, I love it premiered at, of all places, the inaugural Pornhub Awards on <laughs> September 6th. Obviously. Be- because, sure. <laughs> um, and then its Gone Viral video debuted the following day. And in the clip, Kanye and Little Pump are in humorously oversized, blocky shirts and pants. They kind of look like sort of animated, like stuffed animals they in a like way. They look like the characters from um, the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video. You're right, they do. <laughs> They're all like square, rectangular looking. I didn't even think of that, but when you say that, I'm like, yeah, it does look like the sort of computer animated blocky mm-hmm. sort of construction worker guys, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. they were. Um, well, of course, because this is so funny and because it's just so eye-catching, this, of course, turned into a viral meme uh, dubbed the hashtag I love it challenge where people dressed up in similar weird blocky outfits posted their clips to YouTube and other social media. Even James Corden got in on the act. It's so, another challenge. So, Hashtag challenge. It's like the hardest challenge. to. Oh, I guess it's not yeah. a hard challenge. You just put on like a table over your shoulders. But you have to a, like create, a, you know, an ensemble from, you know, yeah, your you, household goods or whatever. <laughs> find, find an empty Amazon box, throw a shirt, a sheet over it. 
It's a good end of summer walk, project. Walk down for a kids. hallway. Yeah. Yes. In, <laughs> yes. You know what better what better thing to do with your kids than to have them watch a Kanye West little pump video and then you know dress up uh, like your favorite little pump character. That's what I'm saying. You're doing it for the kids. <laughs> Kid, don't do this at home. Uh, All right. Well, that's enough of the chart chat. Uh, so we talk about some headlines over on Billboard.com. Yeah. So first up, uh, Mariah Carey released a new song called GTFO last week. What along, that, What does that stand for? Oh, I don't know. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, along with a scantily clad video. Um, the song, which was produced by frequent Drake collaborator 1985, is a whispery ballad with floating sweet vocals on the verses from Mariah. Before then, she says in no uncertain terms, how about you get the fuck out? So that would be the GTFO of the title. Oh! <laughs> That's it. Oh, okay. Uh, the pointed song will appear on Carrie's upcoming yet untitled 15th album, due out later this year. And the project's first official single, With You, is slated for an October 5th release. So is this just a teaser track? A little teaser. Yeah. Speaking of tease... Speaking of tease... She's straight up just dressed in a series of different lingerie looks in the video. It's just... It's peak Mariah. You you call them... I think you... I believe you call them ensembles. Lingerie ensembles. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Keith and I listened to the song together when it first came out. Last week, um, the video though we haven't talked about, but the song, I'll share my thoughts first. Uh, I, I feel like it is a catchy song because that chorus sticks in your head. Um, but I wanted it a little more tempo. I wanted a little. I wanted to take the beat up a little notch or two higher because it's very sleepy slow. But the chorus is so cheeky and fun. I think if it were more like a mid tempo, a little bit faster. Yeah, I mean, maybe she was trying to do what uh, the kids like these days. I mean... Like an LMA boot up kind of thing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, first time I heard boot up, I was like, oh, this is instantly super catchy. But even that, you feel like is a little bit more up-tempo than yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, when I heard it, I the first thing that I... I mean, the thing that I remember from it, which is, I guess, what you're supposed to remember, is... Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. (laughs) Like, that just sticks in your head. Yeah. And, like, I thought it was weird how the first part of the song was just not recognizably Mariah. Her her vocals were so high and so sort of in a a just unrecognizable. I mean, granted, you tell me it's Mariah. I'm like, okay, this is Mariah. Fine. Right. But if I'd heard it and you didn't tell me who it was, I would have been like, ooh, I wonder who this is. And I guess that's... Interesting because I kept waiting for like, well, when's the Mariah vocal going to kick right, in? Right, right. Because Mariah's voice is very identifiable. Yeah. And then when it did come in, it was like, ah. <laughs> so maybe that was the intention. It was just like, I'm going to do something different, and then I'm going to hitch it with the Mariah. Yeah. Um, though you know, maybe it'll grow on me some more. But that chorus, you, I you just just it's just stuck in my I'm, head. I'm kind of ready for the dance remix. I feel like see, it's, it's never good when you say I'm ready for the dance remix. But it's totally like ripe for a dance remix. So it's like we obviously can think the chorus the is like, catchy. Get the fuck out! Yeah, get the fuck out! I can't get the fuck imagine out. it. I can't imagine it. It makes that me think of like, like you know, um, Coldplay releasing what is it? Drunk. What is that song called? Now I'm going to mess up the name of the song. You know, that one big Coldplay song that had a big dance remix. Yeah, with the Sieb dance remix. Oh, was that the one with Beyonce? Yeah. With all the paint and the powder? Yeah. In India somewhere? Yeah, that's the one. Is that the... I am thinking about the right one. Yeah. I forget the name of it. I know. It was a huge hit. 
Yeah, I know. And you know, look at us. We totally worked at and Billboard. And you know, I love oh him for the weekend. Him for the weekend. I was trying to something on the weekend, but him for the weekend. When that came out, it was like great song. And then the Steve Dance remix was like, oh, not just a great song, a hit. So I don't think it always means that it's like you know not a good original song, but there is something that can turn it into a radio hit. That I feel like it just needs to step up. That's all. Yeah, maybe we just wait and see. Maybe it could be a hit without a dance remix. <laughs> uh, so moving on to our next uh, headline. Uh, two months after their engagement, Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin were reportedly married in New York on Thursday, according to People Magazine. By the time you've heard this, you could have gone to the wedding. It's <laughs> You don't know. Yes. An unnamed source told People that the 24-year-old singer and the 21-year-old model tied the knot at a courthouse in New York. But after People Mag reported the news, Haley took to Twitter to deny it, writing, I understand where the speculation is coming from, but I'm not married yet. Yet. However, she has since deleted that tweet. Oh. So we really don't know where this whole thing stands. Um, you know, I was saying, Keith, earlier, it's entirely possible that the couple, you know, are now legally married. You know, they have a certificate. It was made official in the courthouse, but they didn't have a ceremony. They didn't have what they felt like was a wedding. Therefore, they don't feel... Like their husband and wife yet, mm-hmm. you know that's totally it could be the thing. Imagine this prenup. Um, the another report. Let me add like another reportedly in this. People were reportedly saying on Friday that there was no prenup signed. Oh, super smart. But maybe they don't think it's prenuptial yet because they don't think the nuptials have happened. <laughs> Someone should have been doing their paperwork. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll bring you more on this as it as it goes along. But it looks as if. If it did not officially happen Thursday, it is clearly imminent since they went and got this marriage certificate and are not denying that. So Stupid question. Yes. Is Haley Baldwin, mm-hmm. for those listening that don't know who she is, and f- for maybe some of us in the room that don't know who she is too well, <clears throat> me, um, is she related to the Alec Baldwin? Uh, so Alec is her uncle because her dad is Stephen Baldwin. Is Stephen the uh, really conservative brother? Very conservative religious brother, yes. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. This will be interesting. He gets along very well with Justin, who has also, you know, found religion recently. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's been a big bonding point that oh, they've spoken about. That Who's they... going to be at the wedding? Which it's, Baldwins will get invited? They're, well, that's an interesting question because I know that Stephen and Alec and Billy, I believe, have all had falling outs. Like, Alec and Billy have had falling out with Stephen publicly. Because Alec and Billy are both obviously... Very liberal. <laughs> very liberal. Yes. I don't know. Have you seen SNL lately? <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know the answer to that question, hmm. but I do know that Alec has been very supportive on like social media and in interviews of her relationship and, and her, you know, decisions. All right. Thank you. Um, the final news item. Um, on Friday, Ariana Grande took to Instagram to share a very heartfelt message to her late ex-boyfriend, Mac Miller, a week after he was found dead of an apparent overdose. Um, Ariana had abstained from commenting on Max's death, only posting a captionless picture of him the day after the news broke. Um, but for her new post, she shared a video of a sweet private moment between the two and poured her heart out in the caption, writing, I adored you from the day I met you when I was 19, and I always will. I can't believe you aren't here anymore. I really can't wrap my head around it. We talked about this so many times. I'm so mad. I'm so sad. I don't know what to do. You were my dearest friend for so long above anything else. I'm so sorry I couldn't fix or take your pain away. I really wanted to. The kindest, sweetest soul with demons he never deserved. I hope you're okay now. Rest. I know. So Ariana and Mac, they dated for almost two years um, from 2016 until their breakup in May. This May? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. They were dating as recently as May. Um, But their friendship dates back to... 
2012 is when they first started publicly talking, and then in 2013 is when yeah, the, the way, way came which out. was her first single, and he was featured on that. Yeah, yeah, and I remember it was a big deal too because she was you know just coming off of her Nickelodeon show, and they kiss in the video, and yeah. it was like scandal, like scandal. this rapper and oh this child actress or whatever. Yeah, this Disney girl, um, though she was an adult. Wait, no, she, she just looked she like Disney. a child. She was Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon, yeah. yeah sorry. Um, so very sweet message. Uh, you know, a lot of people were. Um, you know, bothering Ariana online about about needing some sort of like word from her. No, she didn't owe anybody anything, and she gave this really nice, intimate moment of them on video and this sweet remembrance. So it's very, very touching. Uh, well, now it is time for our interview with Niall Rogers, the friend of the podcast, called in to talk about his new album. It's about time which is due out september 28th the set which is billed to rogers and chic of course chic is his group that he's had since the 70s um is the first chic album since 1992 believe it or not no wonder the album is called it's about time <laughs> uh the star laden set features guest turns from Haley steinfeld muramasa elton john and drumroll please lady gaga love it and get this, Rogers promises that this is just the first part of the album. We go we go decades without any chic music, and then suddenly we get two albums. <laughs> uh, the second installment of the album is coming early next year, Rogers says, and will feature tracks with Haim and Debbie Harry, among others. So, take a listen to our chat with Niall Rogers. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Niall Rogers, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, Keith. Nice to be back, bro. Um, you know, after all this time, finally, after 26 years since the last Chic album, It's About Time is finally, finally here. How does it feel to finally have this album sort of released into the wild and have people finally hear it? Um, I feel great. Um it, the 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 one thing that's super important uh, for people to remember, I, I guess it's not super important, and what the hell, people do whatever they want to do, but it's it's really a double album set that I didn't release both albums at the same time. And the reason for that is because I'm a vinyl guy. I want the vinyl and every format that people hear the record in to sound the same and feel the same. So um, I just thought the price point would be weird. Um, so, you know, you got to think of this as like Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2. The story doesn't really conclude until you hear the second album. And I'll just give you a brief hint, uh, because the first single sort of sets, up, sets the, the story in motion. So, uh, you know, right now the world just seems like we don't know where the hell we're going. Everything is all over the map. Politics is nuts. People are saying the wackiest stuff. So what I do is I paint a picture of an apocalypse that we go to a disco one night and we are in there partying, having the time of our lives. And then when we walk out, boom, everything's like blown up. It was almost as if the disco was our, 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 uh, bunker that protected us from the radiation and the destruction okay so now us few people that are left have to fix it all and the reason why i thought that was a very romantic <clears throat> type of concept 
is because the way that I view people at dance clubs, to me, are the coolest people in the world. They're the least, uh, and once again, maybe I'm being really romantic, but they were the most open-minded. The first time I ever walked into a disco, I saw gay people dancing with straight people. I saw black, white, every nationality, all dancing in the dawn of summer, having the time of their lives. So who better to recreate a new world than people who are open-minded and people who will look at somebody and say, well, you're my brother, or you're my sister, rather than, oh, you don't look like me, or, oh, you're not Puerto Rican, I don't like you. Like, those are cool people. So then we go off on this journey, and uh, and we have this sort of happy little thing. And it's, it's a science experiment. This album is a science experiment. You'll see when you see the first video. Um, and when you see what I just posted on Facebook last night, and you see me talking about the universe and the beginning of life, and uh, it's all sort of heady, geeky This is stuff. some heavy stuff, but, Niall. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool, though. It's fun. It's, it's actually fun. And then when you get the resolution at the end of the second record, you go, wow. All right, so I hope. So I hate I hate to interrupt, but so you're you, so the first album in 26 years, and you're already teasing the second album. Um, and, yeah, second album is pretty much done. Now was this? And I, I guess I can. Was this supposed to always be like a two part concept album, or is it just one of those things that you work with so many people and you have so many collaborators, you just have this wealth of stuff that is just sitting on the chic shelf that you're kind of putting into a really large project at this point. No, no, no. It was supposed to be a thank you record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I originally, uh, when I put out a record a couple of years ago called I'll Be There, uh, once again, it was a sort of technological marvel in that I could take every vocalist that had been on every single Chic song and seamlessly edit them into the song I'll Be There. Yeah. And, and basically what that was leading up to was David Bowie's birthday. And then I was going to drop the album. Well, that album was was a thank you album. It was a thank you to Bowie. It was a thank you to Prince because what happened is that Prince had just interviewed me and we were going to be playing in a few months. So I knew all of this stuff. But of course, the listeners didn't know it. So it would like just sort of like magically all this cool stuff would happen. I didn't I didn't. I didn't think for one second that Bowie would pass away because all of the people who were working with him were my friends. I'd see him all the time, but they must have been under NDA not to talk about it. Because I had seen Sterling Campbell maybe about four or five days before David Bowie died. So I, I couldn't couldn't believe it. We just had this happy go lucky conversation. We were on the we were riding on the on the train together and we were yucking it up and you know, I'm talking about the good old days with Duran Duran and the B-52s and stuff. He didn't mention anything about Bowie. So the last... Then, uh, I, I'm sorry, I was... So, so anyway, go ahead. Go what ahead. I, no, so what I, the part that I didn't get to, so the album was this sort of celebratory thank you record about people whose lives changed my life dramatically. Like, my life was one way before I met them, and then after them, my life was a different uh, way. So... Bowie was obviously probably the biggest person. Bernard Edwards uh, was, well, Bernard Edwards was probably the biggest, and then Bowie was second biggest, but people knew about Bernard in that way. Uh, and then Prince 
which was this sort of undiscovered one, but it would become reality when people would see us do the concert together. And then I wrote a song called Prince Said It. And every time Prince and I would get together, he would always tell me, nah, you need to do a play, you need to make a jazz album. Because one, uh, for a few months at a time, uh, or for a few months rather, uh, he was doing an album and I was doing uh, three film scores back to back and our studios were right next to each other. And he would hear me practicing jazz all day. And he said, man, you got to put out a record like that. So we did this cool jazz song. And then the chorus was, Prince said it. So after both Bowie and Prince passed away, I felt like people would think that I was trying to capitalize on their debts. So I scrapped that album and then went into a whole new frame of mind. And it took a long time to think of what that new frame of mind would be. So um, that album, which was announced uh, to come out on Warner Brothers Records back in 2015, um, ultimately did not come out for the reasons you just said. It was going to start off with the single I'll Be There. So I'm assuming that is why I'll Be There, which was supposed to be on that album, didn't seem appropriate for this new album, because this so- that song is not on this album. Am I correct in saying that? That is absolutely correct. Okay. Um, so you've talked a lot in the past few years about some collaborators that are not on this album, and I can only assume it's because either they just didn't fit ultimately for this project or because they were meant for the other now not happening project. People like Haim or Debbie mm-hmm. Harry. Is, is that correct? No, 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 no. Oh. They're, they're still on the record. Remember, I started this conversation by saying it's two records. Okay. <laughs> Debbie Harry and Haim are on the next one that comes right out. Man, you just you just have to see you you wait twenty six years and then we get tons of stuff from you. That's the magic of Nile Rogers. You wait long enough and then you get a double album. <laughs> and and the record with Debbie and Heim is amazing. It's unbelievable. Well, let's focus it was, on. It was hard to not put it on this album, but see, it screws up the narrative. The the you you have to you have to put yourself in in my frame of mind. This is the most self-indulgent album I've ever done in my life. I don't normally make records like this because I don't have the the power to say, this is how it's going to go, and I'm going to tell this really big story. Um, so now that I do, um, I can do it my way, and this is happening my way exactly. This is... And I and I just hope people get it and like it and understand it. So, so it is quite. It's a geeky record, and it's a very idealistic record to think that you know. I still think of dance people and dance music as the coolest people in the world and the most loving people. And when you see my relationship with Heim and my relationship with Debbie and my relationship with Haley Steinfeld, it's on the record. It's on the new record. Yes. Or, yeah, and Muramasa and Vic Mensa. The first thing I did was I, I put them out of their comfort zone. And said, hey, we're doing disco first, and then we're going to do jazz, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And then, boom, at the end, it'll be one big happy ending. <laughs> so um, the deal with Warner Brothers, is that just not happening anymore? Was it like an amicable split, I'm assuming? It was really, really amicable because what I did with Warners is that I am um, a very, very... Um, big force at Warner Brothers. Uh, remember, I did not only Chic, Sister Sledge, Madonna, but Warner's has Bowie, Warner's has Duran Duran, so I'm an integral part of these records going forward. Warner's has 
um, uh, David Lee Roth Warner's has um, the Cars. Uh, all of these, the, the B-52s, these are all big artists that I work with. So I'm going to be working on those records um, and those collaborations, um, hopefully for the rest of my life. I did great records with Warner Brothers. Al Jarreau is on board. I mean, I, I have great product there. So, um, um, it's all good. Yeah, no, my, my relationship with Warner's right now as uh, what we would call, I guess, uh, classic artists is absolutely better than it's ever been. Okay. Um, matter of fact, I'm playing Warner Brothers party uh, next week. So clearly, it has to be good. They're they're inviting you to the party. Um, no, I'm invited. Hell, I'm playing it. <laughs> she is playing the Warner Brothers party. That is pretty funny, actually. Like your album's not even coming out on Warner, but you're playing their party. Um, <laughs> album's coming out on Universal. We're playing Warner Brothers party. Yeah, it's all one big so happy family. The thing is that we're really a part of the family now. I get along with them great because you know I can talk straight up with them and 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 I could talk about the value of my catalog. I mean, you know, how many artists in this lifetime have diamond records, let alone double diamond records. I got like a virgin with Warner Brothers. I got the B fifty twos with Warner Brothers. I got Sheik with Warner Brothers. I got Sister Sledge with Warner Brothers. I got Duran Duran. All right, all right. You got a lot of stuff with Warner Nile. They love you. Let's go. <laughs> Um, so again on the new album there's a whole bunch of folks and we mentioned some of them Haley Steinfeld you know there's a bunch of money Lewis uh, Elton John is on the record uh, Emily Sande is on the record um, but you know I I have to say some of my favorite tracks on the album actually come towards the end of the record um, there's just a Chic and You uh, track um, mm-hmm. that is great it's called I Dance My Dance um, right after that, mm-hmm. there's a track with uh, Philippe uh, Sass. How do you pronounce his last name? Philippe Sass. Yeah, Philippe Sass and I used to be in a band together on Warner's Call Out Loud. It's it's just such a great kind of jazzy, f- like dance, disco-y sort of record, and it's almost an instrumental. And then right after that, you get into Lady Gaga's cover of I Want Your Love, but this is a new, sort of unheard, longer version. Um Mm-hmm. Why? Why did you want to kind of end the record with this kind of like? And then, of course, there's the Elton uh, Emily uh, track "Queen," yeah. and I feel like the quartet of those songs really has this. It speaks. It's like a. It's like a movement. Why did you want to end the the proper record with those four tracks together in that in that sequence? It's two albums, and the first album should leave you scratching your head, going, "Oh, what's going to happen?" It's just like if you were doing, um, uh, like I said, every album I've ever made that I certainly control is is a film. And because this film has two parts, I have to leave you with a sort of cliffhanger. And it has to make you want to go, how does the next thing start? Where do they pick up? Why why is there all this? It's it's not what we would call... um, commotion and confusion but there was actually a reason why i did it that way i did it like it was a vinyl album so if i were playing a vinyl record um and and it was a story of my life now well what's the story of my life now my story of my life now is i don't just make records with the nucleus of chic i make more records with other people than i do with the nucleus of chic 
so the record wouldn't be an honest Nile Rodgers record. The other thing that's that's really a little bit tricky, and it's hard to say this because it really it really feels uncomfortable to hear. But the truth is, is that you know that Sheik has never had a record deal. When we when Bernard and I were signed originally, we were the Big Apple band. We had to change our names to Sheik because of Walter Murphy's A Fifth of Beethoven. So Sheik never had a record deal. It was me and Bernard, and they left it up to us to uh, bring in an entity that we would deem something. We deemed that entity Sheik, and that's what happened. When I got this record deal, um, I'm the only one left alive um, from the original uh, sort of rhythm section uh, of Sheik except for Rob Sabino. Well, Rob Sabino, uh, as I always call him the unsung hero of Sheik because he's played on every record, but he's never been on tour with us, ever, because he was always doing other stuff. Um, so when I got this record deal as Nile Rogers, because over in Europe, the name Nile Rogers is much more popular than Sheik, I said, wait a minute, guys, I like being in a band. I like being in Sheik. Sheik is my favorite band. Why would I not want to be in Sheik? So I sort of forced the record company to give me the deal under the name of Nile Rogers and Sheik. So that's that's the, the truth. I mean, it, it's weird to hear, but that's that's the truth. I mean, you know, so they they felt like they could promote it much easier as a Nile Rogers record because I got all these collaborations and stuff and they wouldn't have to worry about the legacy of Sheik. And I was like, no, man, I I, I play in Sheik every single day of my life. That's the band I want to be with. Why would I not want to have Sheik records and continue on? Because this is just the beginning. If this, in fact, works, which is a geeky concept, but what if it works? If it works, then I can continue to make Sheik records for the rest of my life. Um. Two last things. Uh, when when do you think the second half or the continuation of this project might materialize? Sometime I, next I, year. I'm going. I'm going for uh, February 14th, the day that our tour, the first half of our tour with uh, t- uh, Share ends. It ends on um, uh, St. Valentine's Day, and I think it'll be a really great present because the album is actually quite romantic even though it starts so geeky and apocalyptic and weird it's a love story it's a love story so in other words my original concept was to do a thank you record but now i'm doing a love record because all the people and you'll see well you have the cd right i do i have i've listened to the album you see the note that i have at the end there it's a love story it's about i love all the people that i work with I, I really care about them a lot. They're, they're my friends. You know, we go to parties together. We do, we do stuff together because I don't have Bernard and Tony in my life like I once had. So I have all these new people that are my friends. That, I mean, you know, if you see Laura Moss and I walk into a room together, you think that we've known each other all our lives. But damn, I'm 66 and he, well, not quite. I'll be 66 in a few days, but. And he's like twenty something, <laughs> but you know, you you think we've known each other forever. Um, you just mentioned uh, well, you, well. I mean, we talked about Bernard a little bit. Obviously, your your partner in Chic. 
um, who's no longer with us, uh, obviously. Uh, wherever he's at right now, and and he can hear this album, what do you think? What do you think he's thinking about this album? What do you think he's thinking about where Sheik and you are at right now? I I I would think that he would be super proud of me because you know it was once I started when, when I left Sheik because I left first. And once I started to say, Bernard, there's other worlds out there for us to explore, he did it too. He followed in my footsteps. And think about this, man. Out of, you know, we're now on the 25th James Bond film, one of the biggest franchises that have ever existed. Who is the only person who's had a number one <laughs> James Bond theme? Not Adele, not not Paul McCartney, Bernard Edwards That's with right. Duran Duran, you to a kill. We're the only ones. I mean, so it's like uh, it, there, there's something really special about being able to branch out and bring that chic love to other people. And so when Bernard saw me doing with Bowie and In Excess and Madonna, then he did ABC, um, some like it hot, you know, with the Duran Duran guys and uh, Robert Palmer. They created the power station, and he did Robert Palmer stuff. He did Joey Watley. I mean, you know, he, he did Rod Stewart. I just saw Rod yesterday. He was like, wow, oh, man, I miss Bernard. You know, it's like, so we both branched out. It was, he, he would think that it's a cool thing that, like, now I could use the sheet name to do what we used to always do, which was introduce new people. Luther Vandross was pretty much unknown until he was with Sheik. And after Sheik, people were trying to get him to make other Sheiks. Hence, the group changed, and he became a big star. Fonzie Thornton, man, sings, sang with Aretha Franklin to the, up until the last. So all of our people are good people. We know how to find new talent. Daryl Jones was with the Rolling Stones because Daryl Jones was working with me on a Jeff Beck record. That Keith Richards and those guys never heard of Daryl Jones until I introduced him to. Ultimately, Niall, I think we're all part of the Sheik organization in some capacity. I think that's what it comes down to. I maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think we're all part of this great Sheik project together. Uh, and and I, I love that you say that because I, I that nothing can make me more proud. That's how I believe in my heart. I've always love the concept of the chic organization expanding and growing um so anyway carry on with what you were saying i'm sorry no 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 i was i was just gonna wrap up because um uh i I feel i've kept you for way too long but i could talk to you forever um and uh if i had my druthers i would but i look forward to to um seeing you on the road with uh share later on next year i look forward to seeing you in the uk i won't be there but who knows maybe i will um, and I look forward to all the music from you and Sheik in the future. I'm just so happy that we have this album now and that we can get music from you again. So thank you for taking the time and um, much cool. success to you with this record and, and everything and, else. And say these albums. <laughs> these albums. Thank you so much, Nile. Thank you again, Niall, for taking the time to talk about the new album. Go get it. 
Uh, it's uh, about time, and it's on coming out on September twenty eighth. And spay and pay. I was about to say spay and neuter your your dogs. You're going to go straight for the Bob Barker. Bob Barker. Reference. I'm so sorry, Niall. <laughs> um, pay, and as I said in the interview, um, pay special attention to tracks number six through nine. I think that's my personal sort of uh, chunk of the album. Mm. I mean, the, the, the whole thing obviously is good, um, but I really like track six through nine, and and the album, the proper album, ends with uh, Lady Gaga's cover of Sheik's I Want Your Love, which, as I mentioned, we first heard Tom Ford campaign, Mm. and there was like a video with Lady Gaga and a bunch of models, and it was like a a three-and-a-half-minute maybe version of I Want Your Love, but this version is like five minutes long, Mm. and it's kind of like the full version. So I think this is the first time we're hearing like this full Gaga, Sheik, I Want Your Love track. Anyways, I'm very excited. Can you tell? (laughs) Yes, I can. And now... It's time for the chart stat of the week. This week in 1980, rock band Queen topped the Billboard 200 chart with its one and only number one album, The Game. The set rose to number one on the list dated September 20th, 1980, and spent five weeks atop of the tally. The band had previously earned four top ten sets in the 1970s, but the act kicked off the 1980s in style, not only with a number one album, but also their only number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100. And both of them just happened to be from the game. Clearly a very successful project. Mm. Queen topped the Hot 100 with Crazy Little Thing Called Love and Another One Bites the Dust. Queen's story will be seen on the big screen in the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which takes its name from another familiar Queen song. And the film stars Rami Malek as the band's frontman, Freddie Mercury. The movie is due out in the UK on October 24th and in the US on November 2nd, if I am to believe Wiki. I can't believe that that movie is finally coming out because that is one of those projects that's been talked about for, you know, a decade plus. It was supposed to have Sasha Baron Cohen. I remember that. Yeah, there was some creative, as Freddie Mercury, and mm-hmm. there were some creative differences between him and the band, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when the movie actually started, the movie with Rami Malek started to get made. Brian Singer was directing, and then he left the project mm-hmm. uh, sort of three quarters of the way through or 80% of the way through. And then they brought in another director to finish it, which is like, ooh, that's problematic. I feel like Rami's portrayal looks like so incredible that, you know, all of this behind the scenes drama could easily just disappear the second he gets on screen. You know, it just feels like it looks that good. Yeah. Um, Well, there you have it. This week in 1980, Queen topped the Billboard 200 with its only number one album, The Game. All right. Any parting words, Katie? Well... I mean, feels like... Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, I was going to go back to Nile. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Um, so, what... What Nile... What, what, we need we some have, classic. So you want classic, or do you yeah. want something that Nile worked on that's more recent? Oh, we could do that, too. I mean, I do... I'm obsessed with that Daft Punk album. So, uh, Get Lucky? No? Lose Yourself to Dance. That's my jam. See you guys next time. Bye. See you guys next time. Bye.